So today on Uncover Wealth Radio, I have the massive privilege of speaking to Massio, who is a serial entrepreneur with two decades of building businesses by creating great products and great marketing. His experience spans a wildly eclectic mix of practical real world experience from the US Army to the cutthroat world of electronic trading. Maceo, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So obviously those two things, quite different, US Army <laughs> electronic trading. Tell us what story got you between the two of those? Well, you know, it's funny uh, when it comes to trading in particular, it tends to draw from, I'll call it high performance professions mm. and high performance hobbies. Some of it I think is by design. Obviously trading, there's a lot of money to be made, so it's very competitive. But a lot of firms specifically recruit individuals that you know, have achieved high levels of success in, let's call it objectively measured environments. Yes. So if you're in sport, that's about as objective as you could get, especially <laughs> if you're going head to head against other people on an individual basis. But yeah, I mean, it, I've been drawn to high pressure, high competitive, you know, high risk, high reward almost from the very beginning. So I think for me, it was inevitable, but it was really more by accident. I was running cell phone, early cell phone company, mm. was walking through a trade show, saw a video on a table, picked it up. It was about trading and you know, it's it kind of all she wrote after that. Nice, nice. So I am sure that you learned a lot of lessons in oh, trading. Yeah. What did it sort of teach you that you've been able to bring in to running a small business as well? Well, there's a saying in, in trading that trading is mostly <laughs> mental, uh, mm. depending on who you talk to. Some will say it's 80, 90%. Uh, after you know, almost 18 years as a, a profitable trader, I would say it's 100%. Mm. Trading is 100% mental and business is too. Mm. So why, why would I say that? Well, your mental state, your mental makeup will directly influence the decisions you make. But more importantly, it's going to decide what information you're even open to. Mm -hmm. So when I see entrepreneurs continually beating their heads against the wall, and we've all seen it, especially and if you have kids, of course, you live it. <laughs> you know, you're watching another human being do something that's totally counterproductive. <laughs> and you can even tell them, look, the answer is right here. Mm -hmm. And then they totally ignore you know, the advice and, and go on their own way. So completely, that personally enabled me to go into business with a completely different set of eyes, I think. But it also enabled me, I think, to be far more aggressive about seeking the truth. Mm. And so often, and a lot of the reason why I decided to do these kinds of, you know, do podcasts and kind of come out of the shadows is really just the, the wealth of information that's out there from people that are, are like a carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy. You know, so 14 generations ago, somebody read a book. And then they taught somebody how to do, you know, so it's <laughs> yeah. like there's very few operators anymore that are out there teaching stuff. And so, you know, I see entrepreneurs getting information from very popular people that's really not going to serve them well. So I completely agree so much with that statement. So, you know, trading is very much about methodology rather than about specific tactics, although there are some specific tactics that work. But usually, you know, you have a generalist as a trader that translates directly over to business. Um, so yeah, there's most of what I, I learned as a, a trader directly applies to the business world. Mm, and I would have also thought that sort of 
looking at data, analyzing data, mm -hmm. understanding data <laughs> is also probably a big part of, you know, both worlds actually, but also yes. a part of the small business world that often gets forgotten in favor of following the gurus that whose right. own guru read a book 20 <laughs> years ago. Well, so I, I, I love picking on Gary Vaynerchuk, mostly because he invites it, like, you know, he wants people yes. to give him critiques. And so the big mistake of, of Gary himself, somebody like Gary, is he was born of the internet. So he yes. got onto YouTube in the early days. He got into Google pay-per-click. I was there at the same time. Mm. I was actually a little bit before him in video. Not that that makes me better. I'm just saying like, mm. there was so much trend back then that somebody was going to be successful. And it just yes. happened to be Gary. At the same time, there was a massive increase in the US in these big box wine stores. Mm. So you can't just look at him in isolation and say, oh, you know, he, without any other inputs, he was successful. Yeah, it was almost the gold rush era, wasn't it? Well, absolutely. And then mm. so as he moved into the marketing world, you know, he's riding the next wave of social media platforms. And, you know, so now he talks about produce 60 pieces of content and, you know, for a small business owner, which I actually tried that, I like sat mm. down and said, okay, I know how to use these platforms. I've got the devices. Let me do this. I blew out in like a week. I couldn't yeah, do it. I was exactly the same. I was like, this is insane. So, you need a whole backend 20 yes. person marketing team to be able to right. actually do that and serve your clients and you know, right. manage your team and all the other things right. that come along with it. Well, so, but Gary's response would be, oh, well, you know, you two aren't grinding enough. You know, are you sleeping? You know, are mm. you, are you yes. watching any TV? And I'm like, dude, no, I no, don't yeah, watch exactly. TV. I work 16 hours a day. And so, I sleep. Yeah, yeah, and right. And let's face it, you know, we're not all insomniacs. So <laughs> that's one aspect of, you know, what I'm out here beating the drum for. Mm. But you, let, let me go back to a statement that you made about data. Mm. What trading will do for you if you're successful is it'll help train you. And I notice I didn't say give you the ability. Mm. It will train you to see data for what it is, not for what you want it to be or mm. for what your biases tell you it should be. Mm. And I got to tell you that this is such an insidious and sinister aspect of humans that without specific trading, specific training, <laughs> it's nearly impossible to overcome because as you get into the cycle, it's like these biases and, and actual biological processes in your brain take over. So one of the things uh, that I, I gained from, from the trading world was the ability to um, understand that aspect and teach it, which not everybody does. Mm. And so there's, there's, first of all, the training to be able to see data. And then over time, if you get a leadership position in trading, it's usually because you've, you've got some ability behind it. And so really for most entrepreneurs, what I would say is if you focus on the data, that's great, but you've got to have some way to pull yourself out and objectively look at the information, otherwise confirmation bias and hindsight, you know, all these things that we know exist will kick in. And let me tell you, especially with all of the information we can get, I mean, Google analytics is very robust you know, and it's free. So most business owners have access to it. You can look at that information and not know either what to do with it, yeah. or more importantly, you'll look at it and assume things that aren't true from the data set you're looking at. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think for many business owners, it's almost about pulling the emotion out the data as well, because there's there's so much of that kind of wrapped up in what we want to see in our business and what we expect yeah. and what we hope to happen that actually, when we are looking at that kind of cold, hard data, whether that's, um, you know, how many people are coming to your website or your profit and loss account, it's pulling the emotion out of it and saying, yep. okay, what is this actually telling me? And therefore, what actions need to come out the back of it too. Exactly right. Yeah. It, it, so on the trading desk, it's obviously all about action. If you're, mm. if you're there for more than a few years, you, what you understand is you've got to constantly do stuff. If, and I don't, it really doesn't matter what time frame. you know, you could be like a Jim Rogers and want to hold something for 20 years, but you mm -hmm. still have to be very active and in motion. Right? And so mm -hmm. as, as entrepreneurs, it's, it's really easy to get into non-action right and sit there and wait and well let me get more data and let me react but you can actually become very proactive in business you can get very if you will aggressive about either growth or improving opt or optimizing your your conversion rate you don't really have to sit back and just wait for the data as long as you've structured things properly again you know so if, if your testing process is set up properly your testing conception and methodology is done well, then you can be very aggressive about testing. Going back to beating up on Gary Vaynerchuk, <laughs> but if all you're doing is saying, okay, let me let me just throw 60 pieces of content out there. You've Now you've got 60 variables floating out there at once. Mm -hmm. And I get it. He's, he's trying to say, well, look, everybody's on social media. And so if you've got this massive of information on social media, then you're bound to be successful. What that's doing is kind of trying to find the, the lowest level set, which I get, look, we've got to remember, Gary is in the business of selling social media, mm. right? He makes millions of dollars convincing corporations that they need to be on social media. So whether he wants to you know, acknowledge it or not, it's very self-serving. He has to do it. As an entrepreneur though, we've got the luxury to not necessarily need to do that. And so again, it's separating, being able to separate some advice like that from reality, but in a real way, it's like, okay, if it's not 60, then what subset is it? Is it 30? Is it 40? Is it five? Hmm. You know, and this is where you're separating the emotion helps because you can look at what your market really wants to hear. Sure. If you're just there, they're going to get comfortable with you. Like we all know that if you see somebody, like if you go to the same coffee shop every day and you see the same people every day, you'll actually be comfortable with them. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, your brain is literally going to have a transition there was a, an Anthony Hopkins movie where I think it was, uh, it was with gorillas. And at one point there's a scene where the, the gorillas are in front of him and he's sort of sitting there. And then all of a sudden, before he knows it, the gorillas literally move to include him in the circle. And so what they're, what they're demonstrating there is that those primates have a very similar mechanism as we do, which is if you have a tribe, your brain will tell you I'm safe. Yeah. So, that yes, you can inundate people with your face and your, your voice and get them comfortable with you. But I'm saying as an entrepreneur, you can separate that sort of amorphous, well, what is that thing? And narrow down, you can actually look at the pieces of content that you're putting out, see what kinds of results you get, but then separate the emotion where maybe you have something that you like yeah. or something you have an affinity to that maybe isn't working, that's, you know, so where the rubber meets the road with separating the, the emotion is separating what your, what your likes are, your predilections are from what the market actually wants, both in the sense of what marketing do they want, 
but then also what do they want from you and your business? What do they truly value? Because ultimately that's what, as business owners, that's what we're delivering. We're delivering value to our customers. And as, if we focus on maximizing that through love and respect for our customers, that's what's going to, to increase. So yes, you can, you can kind of do you know, the 60 pieces mm -hmm. of content a day, but if you focus it, you're gonna have a much better result. Yeah, absolutely. I often speak about this maximizing value piece as well and say that, you know, I actually speak about it a lot in relation to pricing and say to people, you know, your, your end customer does not actually care how much you think you're worth. What they care about is the value you provide them. So don't right. base your pricing on this whole, this whole thing that people talk about, you know, charge your worth. No one cares. No one really cares what your worth is apart from yourself and maybe your mom. <laughs> so, you know, don't, don't charge based exactly. on that charge based on value. Right. Well, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm famous or notorious, depending on who you ask for always, I ask a, a very few, a very few kind of, kinds of questions. And one mm. of them is, well, how do you know that? Mm. So when people say, oh, you have to charge what you're worth, I'll ask them, well, how do you know that? Mm. Well, so I was actually there when a lot of these concepts were introduced into the world of mm. quote unquote internet marketing. And so that line of thinking actually goes back to a couple of guys. One of them is named Dan Kennedy. And yes. so Dan Kennedy and like the boom of both internet and direct response advertising mm. convinced a whole bunch of people that they just needed to continually raise their prices. Now you have to remember this was going into the 2008 and 2009 crash. Mm. So there's a huge economic boom and quite literally it was based on this idea that people have more discretionary income. So you need to go get more of it. Mm. This was an amoral, a value. Like there was nothing about producing more value. Yeah. And in fact, when I left that whole clan, if you will, mm. Bill Glazer, Dan Kennedy's partner was up on stage. It's a very small group of us. And he said, you know, when you're producing content, uh, you, know, you have to figure out how much hot air you're putting into your, your product to sell people on just like we sell you. Ha ha ha. Wow. I, I remember literally looking to my right and left and say, did he really just say that? And mm. I, I left like that moment. I walked out of the room cancel my subscriptions yeah. because I realized, okay, they're doing, granted, they're doing what they're telling me to do to me, but I don't like it. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I was like going to say, yeah, you don't like it. So why would you do that to someone else? Right. Why, why would I want to, why would I want to pay for hot air? And more importantly, exactly why I'm very high in, in compassion. You know, if you look at my big five personality profile, I'm on the extreme for politeness, mm. which is not please and thank you. It's more like giving respect to authority just for the sake of their position. Yeah. But I'm also like really high in compassion. So for me, like, there's I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to do that to anybody. Mm. And so my benchmark is my mom. My, uh, we grew up very poor. Uh, come from a mixed family. Father's black. Mom's Jewish. Uh, she worked three jobs to keep us out of the ghetto. Um, and so when I she recently passed away, and so when I was looking at if settling the estate, I saw like her social security account over the years. And I was shocked, first of all, at how much she was able to, you know, leave, although it was mm -hmm. modest, but that really hammered home what I'd been doing for all those years, which is if someone is like my mom working three jobs, trying to keep their family, you know, above the, what I call the suck, like when you mm -hmm. just can't recover, I need to produce something Granted, she would still have to do the work, but I need to produce something that I know is going to improve her life, not yeah. preying on her desire to improve herself in sort of this blind ambition way, and then capitalizing on people's gullibility. 
is a lot of people don't know this. And, and some of Dan Kennedy's higher paid stuff. I mean, I, I was at a $15,000 event mm. and he literally said, you know, you need to study cults and, and people that, you know, scam artists and whatnot, because we're looking, you know, our ideal prospect is somebody that's gullible. And again, I'm looking around thinking, like, really? hang on, that makes it me. That means <laughs> I am exactly gullible. Right. Okay, that, thank you. I was one of the very few people that saw that in the room, but then mm. I was like, really? Is that what we really want to do as mm. business owners? So can you do that? Yes. Can you simply charge more money Yes, you can. I'm here to tell you that there are there is a subset of people out there that they are gullible. They are going to believe you. Mm -hmm. You can uh, get rapport with them and in, you know increase that gullibility ratio, whatever you want to call it. But again, I think we as entrepreneurs, if we're really going to use these cliches like be the good in the world and those kind of things, mm. we have to actually put some meat to that. So right. if I'm going to be the change, I knew I had to start with me. And so yeah. a lot of what I what I'm quote unquote preaching now really does go back to, you know, my early days as an entrepreneur, 2005, 2006 and seven, where at the same time as I was, in, you know, experiencing this massive growth, you know, so I took a business from, you know, I borrowed $25,000 from my dad, you mm -hmm. know, I was able to grow a business to 26 million in revenue within three years, we peaked out just under 50 million, mm -hmm. but I was able to do that without, you know, selling my soul as it goes yeah. and really wrestling with some of these concepts both in the sense of what am I delivering to my clients? How do I really maximize value? But mm -hmm. then also devising tests and approaching it from the standpoint of how do I measure value? Like, yes. is it shares? Is it likes? Is it comments? And understanding that, you know, there's this really weird interplay with people and social media and mobs as they get, mm -hmm. you know, as people get together, they really don't act like individuals anymore. So anyway, I, I could geek out on, on the data and how we actually built that. Me too. But I could I, geek out on data all day long. <laughs> so I'll end it with this is, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're wrestling with some of these core issues, like it's like you can feel it doesn't sit well with you. I, I can promise you that there is a way out. You do not have to sacrifice those kinds of things in order to be successful, but you do then need to be very picky about what you get into. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, years ago, so I exited my business in 2011, 2012-ish. And it'd been a couple of years and I hadn't really done anything publicly. And one of the people that I was involved with, very uh, prominent uh, marketing guy out of Israel, he was like, Maseo, when are you going to do something? And I said, look, man, when, when you can pick a $50 million opportunity, how many of those do you need? Mm, yeah. So what I was communicating to him was what, what can happen, just like in the trading world, if you get so focused on the short term or, or the, I'll call it the near term. Mm. Like, so as an entrepreneur, if you're really focused on what your ROI is or day one revenue or day one profits, you're so focused on the short term that what you wind up sacrificing is that long-term vision. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you'll wind up, you know, five, 10 years down the road, looking around and thinking, how did I get here? Like, what did I create? So if you're looking at some of these, well, I'll call it softer issues, you know, so moral issues, ethical mm -hmm. issues, you know, greater good issues, which I'm hundred percent about, I've been about really since I started, you've got to focus on trends. Mm -hmm. And an easy way to measure this is go to trends.google.com, throw in some keywords from your business, mm -hmm. you know, if it's your, your major business category, and then just start digging into the tool, combine keywords. So, you know, use, if you have a coffee shop, maybe I need more coffee, 
<laughs> so type in copy shop and then add a keyword with your local area. So, you know, if you're in Glasgow, type in Glasgow. If you're in mm -hmm. London, type in London. And you'll see on a local basis what people are searching for online. And so that's a very quick and dirty measure for what trend is there? Mm. So why would we want to do that? We want to do that because human beings are energetic creatures, right? Our brains are electrical matrices, right? There's all kinds of electricity firing up there in our domes. And EKG has electricity as the first word. Mm. So we've got to understand that it takes energy for somebody to focus on you. Yes. The reason why you want to trend is you want to ride somebody else's energy input so you don't have to pay for it. Mm. What we've lost in, in the marketing world and in the entrepreneur world are some concepts from all these old school copywriters, which basically boil down to this. You don't have enough money to create desire, right? So what Gary Vaynerchuk is kind of peddling is an antidote for that. But mm. that's not how it works. If somebody doesn't have a desire for you, for your product, I don't mean that obviously in a personal way, if somebody doesn't have a desire for what you're selling, then all of you know the 60, 60 social media posts a day is not going, going to nothing. overcome that, right? Mm. And so what I'm saying is you can focus you and your energy on the back of, of something else. And so that's, that's basically a trend. Obviously, there's a lot into that. You know, kind of getting into my grand unifying theory of business. But if you take that concept hmm. and then you observe it in you first, right? So when, when do you get lit up about something? And you can even see it. When does somebody get excited? And we even say it, oh, his eyes really lit up. Hmm. What you're literally seeing is the energy is higher in somebody's brain. And so if you want to test this, if you want to test sales, if you want to test anything in business, test it on a, a human being. <laughs> is what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're proposing lighting them up? If it is, then figure out who are they? What are they like? Now we're getting into the meat of marketing, right? So mm. how old are they? Are they male, female? Do they, you know, do they come from poor background? Are they, you know, all those, are they wealthy? Are they a professional? Are they what we call blue collar in here or trades? Mm. When you understand that, you can start to get some generalizations and then test that same value proposition on larger and larger groups. So quite literally, you can break marketing down into its simplest elements by going backwards in time and looking at how people actually sold remotely before we had the internet. <laughs> yes. So this is going to the Robert Colliers of the world and you know that sort of thing. So these are people that, you know, that were selling in the 19 teens and the 1920s through mail during the depression. You know, so the, the maxims and the methodologies, more importantly, that they developed, we can transfer directly into today that are far more powerful than just blindly throwing stuff out there into the world. And more importantly, we can do it in a way where we're, we're giving value, we're being the change as it, as it were. We're not just, you know, raising our prices because yes. people have, have more disposable income or, you know, they just have this burning desire to spend some money right at this moment. Hmm. Yeah, that is totally awesome. So in terms of, you know, I, I love that kind of looking at the Google Trends side of things. That's something I personally not dug into at all. So I'm definitely going to be doing that. How do we start kind of, I guess, hopping on those trends and actually getting ahead of them? Well, if I could tell you how to get ahead of a trend, we probably wouldn't be talking, right? I'd be, <laughs> yeah, on, some, I'd be on some island with like 15 planes. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking about that. But You'd yeah, be on I mean, Oprah instead of here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I, 
So here's what we know. We know trends appear. So that's a surety, but mm. we don't know when they're going to show up mm. and we don't know when they're going to end. Mm. So it's not like we can get in front of them. What we can see is when they start and you can gain some, some skill at jumping on them early, mm. uh, but that's also where the highest risk is, right? Of so course. to use the trading example, if you get in on, you know, let's say Microsoft, you think, Hey, I think Microsoft is going to start trending. Maybe not. Right? Mm. So you've got to have something in, in the market, you know, stop loss where you're like, okay, yes. stop the losing. And in business, that can be really tough, especially if you have a physical product because you've got tooling mm. and die sets and all that. So how can you get in on a trend early really boils down to understanding um, whether you're on what I'll call a macro trend, right? Mm. So is this like computers in the early days or internet in the early days, or is it internet after years have gone by? Mm -hmm. So I had, I've been blessed to, to get in on so many different fields as they were dying mm. and then seeing the replacement come up. And there's in the trading world, when there's a transition like that, you'll see a chart get really what we call choppy, right? So price mm -hmm. is going up and down and up and down. It's not really going anywhere. There's lots of confusion. People are, you know, getting in and getting out. They're running hither and yon. The same thing happens in business, but it shows up obviously differently than on a price chart, right? So mm -hmm. you'll find... I'll use Slack as an example here. So we all basically use Slack. So Slack yeah. is the winner of that competition. But I saw, in fact, I was developing a competitor to Slack. Mm. And there were about eight total competitors. Hall was the next, like they were on par with Slack. So mm. Hall and Slack. And, you know, they were battling it out for users and they were both bragging about how many users they were getting. But why, so why did Slack win? Slack won because they understood what people wanted. So remember, Skype had been around and is still around. It's around because Microsoft bought it and stupidly they're pouring more money into it where yeah. they probably should just abandon it and go to Slack, which mm. they've got teams now. But at the time, Skype had no ability to search mm. in a business setting. Like, so if you and I are working on a project and we're typing, typing, yes. going back and forth and sharing images and whatnot, a couple of days later, like, that, what did we talk about? Like, mm. man, there was, you had this great idea. And I remember kind of what it was, right? So search, right? I might know a few keywords. You can't do that in Slack. I do that all the time in Slack. Right. Every day right. I'm searching. Yes. Mm. So what Slack knew that Hall didn't, which I saw back then, was they knew people wanted to search. Mm. When they got that and they saw that that not only gained them traction, but when they looked at their metrics inside of their, their application, they could probably see, you know, user time in app went up, you know, users coming into the app accelerated, but more importantly, you could look at an individual so, or even a team like us. So like, let's say we're, mm. we're two people on a team, we're using it, but then all of a sudden our team grows. Mm. You can track that back to, so what are people using once they get into it? They saw it with search. And so you correlate that over time. Like, okay, if enough people are on the app, and their time in app goes up and the number of people on their team increases and it's related to search. Hey, let's test search. Yeah. So that's an example of how to use data in a way, separate your emotions, right? Cause mm. I bet what they really liked were the features of like image sharing. Yeah. Maybe I'm saying that because that's what my co-founders wanted. Like, no, I'm gonna say we need to have video. We need, mm. you know, they need to be able to share images. And I was like, guys, no, it's search. Mm. People want to be able to go into this tomorrow and see, you know, understand what we talked about. They may remember a, a stock symbol or something yeah. like that. I was like, no, 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 no. So they were emotionally invested 
in images and video. They felt like that was where to go, but it, that wasn't objectively what was going to move the needle. Mm. So getting in on trends is a little bit of detective work, mm -hmm. right? So if you understand that trends morph and change, you've got to understand where you are in the broad scheme. So mm -hmm. internet just broadly today, it's much, much different than it was in the beginning. I was so early in the internet, it was dial up. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, got... I was there at dial up times. Okay, so what, why is that important? Well, you got to remember that internet wasn't always on for us. Mm. We had to dial in, you had the yeah. funny noises, but then it may not connect, right? Especially yes. if you had a, like I remember when I got a 36.6 modem, not mm. a lot of modems had the same compatibility. So it was, sometimes it was tough for me to connect, yeah. especially you know when you were connecting to somebody's individual computer. Phase or one. someone in your house would pick up the phone and it would lose the, <laughs> right. I mean, that yes. was infuriating. Mm. Right, absolutely. And so when, when things move to always on internet, mm. that changed the nature of the relationship to the tool. Mm. So having, if, if you think about always on internet as a phase in the trend, then you can design a business around that new phase. So it's mm. like, what, what new capabilities does a person have from that always on internet, right? So I'm looking around and thinking, okay, what's that day in the life? Mm. So the, the way to break through to how to capitalize on a trend is loving your customer. It's understanding what problems do they have? Like, why are they really buying something? Do we buy iPhones because it's got, you know, 11 cameras on the back or is it because it's bigger? Yeah. Like if you look at the demographics in these larger devices, what's driving it are people that are getting, you know, 50 and up. They're like looking at these little, you know, these little phones and mm. doing this forward and back thing. And so if you have a larger device, it's easier to see. Mm. Why are they gravitating to iPhones? Well, frankly, it's easier to use than an Android device. Yeah. You basically plug it in and it works. It goes, yeah. Right. So it's if you're not careful, I, I just talked about a lot of information, mm. right? So if somebody loves Android, they might say, well, look, Android's better and they could give me 57 reasons. Yeah. My point is you've got to separate your, your love for Android from mm. the data. Yes. If you look at the data, iPhone users are better buyers they have more money, they're better customers. Well, you can actually get to objective reasons why. It's just mm. a, for those people, it's a better device. Mm. So if you're in the app business, it would behoove you to focus on iPhone apps. Should you have Android? Yes. But you've got to realize that the bulk of your revenue is probably going to come from a smaller subset of iPhone users, not Android. Mm. So that's one aspect of not only how to, how to look at a trend, but then how to like decipher it into actual business decisions and frame those business decisions so that you can test, which means obviously you need to be able to test and track Android versus iPhone, separate them out demographically, but then also think about if you've got an app that has a wide range of ages that are using it, you've got to understand that somebody who's over 50 didn't grow up with the internet. They grew up mm -hmm. with phones that you took off the wall and yeah. newspapers that you held in front of your face. And more importantly, like three or four media outlets. So when they, when they're interacting with your device, they have certain things that they want. They have certain, they have certain trust that they're not willing to give. Mm. And so understanding how to raise your level of credibility with them is going to be critically important. Understanding that you need to have really ugly forms on your device because your form fields need to be really big. Mm. I mean, here's, a, here's the level that I got to. 
So I really love watching people use devices, especially if I'm selling on them. Mm -hmm. One thing most people don't understand is that as people get older, they get more dehydrated. <laughs> well, we have capacitant screens, which means there's an electrical connection between their finger, your finger and that screen to register whether or not you're touching it. Mm -hmm. That's why if you touch it with you know, some random object, nothing happens. There's yeah. no electrical connection. Well, if you're dehydrated, do you have good electrical connectivity? Mm, no. Interesting. That's why you see people like bashing their screens, so, presumably. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so if you watch older people use devices, they press and they press harder and they tap it multiple times. So there, it's, you may actually get better usage on your device if you remind people to- To drink. Drink some water. Interesting, or, wow. Or if you, like, let's say you're on a form field and you don't see an input for a while and you know that user is above a certain age, mm -hmm. why not have a, have a pop-up that comes in, you know, having trouble tapping on your screen, yeah. try licking your finger. Mm -hmm. So they just did yeah. that and they touch their screen. Oh, it works. So what are we doing? We're loving our customer. Mm. We're finding something that they're frustrated with. Because when I, when I watch people have that experience, like they're tapping on the device and does it work? Or would I catch myself doing it? Like I've actually caught myself beating my phone a little bit. Mm. It's like, dunk, dunk, dunk. Like, okay, wait a minute. I need to settle down. It's not the <laughs> device's fault. Yeah. But you have to remember, that's the world I came from, mm. right? We came from a world that was very mechanical and, yeah. and oftentimes banging something. Mm, yeah, help. Fix it. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Just kick it. That'll do it. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, I remember as a kid, we had this old, you know, like I said, we, we were, didn't have a lot of money. We had this old black and white TV mm, and every once in a while, it. yeah, it would go out and I just smack it on the side and yeah. start working again. Yeah. So again, understand if you understand your customer, you understand their frustrations, mm -hmm. you can deliver value. And I got to tell you, if you did that, like you actually popped up a video to that older demographic and you start seeing forms getting filled in, mm. what you've done is understood the real data. So remember, yeah. at the root of what we're talking, you asked me a couple of questions. At the root of what we're talking about is, how do you get useful data? Mm. Well, if you're, if you're a coder, you're gonna think, oh, I need to get data by looking at data. No, you get data by looking at the person that's generating the bloody data, right? Garbage in, garbage out. If you're only looking at Google Analytics or your app analytics, and I'll use some jargon, hopefully that will appeal to those kind of people, mm -hmm. you're looking at a derivative of an abstraction. Mm -hmm. That if you go into the math of that, you can't get anything useful out of it. Yeah. You've got to go all the way down to what is actually causing something in the world, the human, understand how they then generate the data. So if if your dwell time, right, the dead time on your app is going up, you can fiddle fart around with all sorts of needles where you can come up with all kinds of ideas of why that is and how you can, how you can change that. But it might just be that somebody's dehydrated. And that's, you know, you might be searching for all the other things like, is our button in the wrong place or the wrong right. color or the, you know, all these other variables that you start playing without actually kind of thinking back to the individual. That's right. That's exactly right. And so what, what we've done with all of our access to social media, which gives us massive amounts of data, is we've forgotten a few of the core concepts mm. that it's, it's, this is about people. It's about human beings, not buying units or blips on a screen. Yeah. That's number one. 
And number two, it, it's about desire. Does somebody actually have a desire for, for what you're offering? Meaning, is there, is there something in them that has activated their brain so you can actually gain access to their decision-making apparatus? Mm. There are and also in a way that's ethical and not sleazy oh, and yes, all that right. stuff, of course. Yeah. And unfortunately, all mm. the sleazy stuff works. I mean, look, I, mm. I've trained under all of the great copywriters, mm. not Dan Kennedy personally, but John, John Carlton personally mm. for years, Gary Halbert for about a year before he died, Gary Bensavenga. Mm -hmm. And so these are all names people might or might not recognize, mm. but you know, these are the greats of copywriting. I got started in marketing before the internet where I was literally licking stamps and envelopes <laughs> and mailing stuff to people. Mm. And so I've had the experience of, you know, the, the mind bending experience of selling something to someone in a remote location with just a few pieces of paper. Mm. And so, yes, the sleaze is going to work. I hate to say it, but that's why it's out mm. there. It's out there because it works. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a shortcut. It's like, do we really want to race to the bottom? I don't think mm. so. But you can use some of those techniques for good. And here's why I say that. We can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We do need to appeal to people's emotions. Mm -hmm. So we, you do need to get to a point where you understand when you're actually selling, that's when the emotional aspect has to come in. So how do you do that? You know, so I just described a situation, you know, an older person tapping on a phone and beating on a phone. Mm. And so using words like, frustrated or, you know, does your phone make you want to spike it, you know, in the end zone, like Lynn Swan, uh, you know, that's obviously throwing back to somebody, mm -hmm. you know, who knows who Lynn Swan is. You yeah. Google him. He's a Pittsburgh Steelers football player. <laughs> anyway. So what have I just done with that short bit of copy? Mm. I've related to their emotional experience in the moment. I've called back to elements from their past that generate positive emotions. Mm. So I'm using all the techniques without resorting to the sleaze, which would be uh, you know, make money in five minutes or, you know, yeah. Hey, here, like the, the Ty Lopez meme, you know, here's my Lamborghini. Mm. Here's my, you know, here's my library. Yeah. Can do it in a way that does actually add to their experience without relying on that sleazy part. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think, you know, the, the main thing, like we said, was loving on your customer and maximizing the value. They're the two massive right. takeaways too. Matthew, this has been an incredible conversation. I have loved every minute of it. And I'm sure that our listeners will have done as well. Why don't you tell them how they can connect with you more and find out more about you? MaceoJordan.com is the best place. That's where I put all, you know, the little bit of content that I do produce. Most of it is, is really horrible, cheesy looking videos with screen <laughs> capture, but you know, it's, it's packed with content, you know, so I, I definitely am not the, the glitz and glamour kind of, of marketing guy out there. But that's where they can they can get more information from me. Great. But more importantly, that's where they can interact with me. I'm very big on on actually doing stuff in the world. Uh, and then I'm you know I'm working on a project in healthcare called Connexia. Nice. That's at connexia.com. And then I'm I'm working on a media startup in movies and TV called Lore.tv. Nice, lovely. We'll obviously put all the links in the show notes as well so that everyone can connect with you that way as well. Again, thank you so much for coming on Cover Wealth Radio. It has been an absolutely excellent conversation. I very, very much enjoyed it. So uh, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you do like what I share, please do come and subscribe to the podcast, perhaps even leave a review so that other people can find this podcast as well and benefit from everything that I am sharing. 
Also, if you enjoy it, I would love if you want to take a screenshot of this episode, share it out onto your social media platforms. If you do, please, please do tag me. I'm Annette underscore Fergs on both Twitter and Instagram. So if you tag me, I can come along, give you a follow, give you a like and some love over there as well. Until next time.